Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Comedy Podcast. I am your host, Brian April. And as always, our podcasts are available to listen to on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, uh, and on Spotify. If you want to see the video versions, you can check us out on Facebook and on YouTube. Just search Uncommon Comedy. Uh, if you have any questions or comments about the, the, the material in here, or you want to reach out, uh, put your comments in the, the video on the comments below, or you can reach out to me on youtube.com uh, slash comedy Brian, facebook.com slash comedy Brian, and three days a week I live stream on Twitch. So if you want to interact live and ask questions and talk back and forth, follow me on twitch.tv slash comedy Brian. All right, we are going to get into it today. Um, my guest today, uh, the very, very funny guy, I've only worked with him a, a handful of times, but um, uh, I've enjoyed working with him. Really, really good dude. Very, very funny. And uh, he just performs all over the country. And I really enjoy working with him. So please welcome the very funny Brian Kahatsu. Brian. Hey, Brian. How are you doing, man? Bryans. How it are you, Brian? <laughs> I am doing well. And, and I do want to just start off. This is more important than comedy. I just want to point out that we are both Brian's with an I, which is the correct. We are real Brian's. Correct. Because if your name is Brian with a Y, you are always asking why. Exactly. I, I don't know. I don't know if there's any other. Um, I haven't heard. It's a really big deal in the Brian community. The, I, I think the it I, is. The debate. Mm -hmm. I don't but, know about other other uh, you know names or so. But. Oddly enough, it is the first question I will ask another Brian. I or Y, and they they <laughs> have it already preloaded. I yeah. okay, all right. And if it's a it's, Y, it's a very big deal. Yeah, and then you get that weird standoff. All right, <laughs> I'll then, figure you out later, Brian with a yeah. Y. Yeah, yeah, sometimes they have like a I-E-N, and you're like, whoa, what is... Uh, th those, the, yeah, the I-E-Ns are trying too hard. Yeah. Y-E-N, just... come on. Something's wrong. Yeah, no, that's, that's <laughs> definitely wrong. So anyway. So when, I you, <laughs> when I met you, Brian, I went, okay, there's a starting point for both of us. I liked you immediately, and, and then yep, here we absolutely. are. Absolutely. Here we it are, makes, what, three years later? Here we are. <laughs> exactly, it makes a difference. I think, uh, yeah, we met, uh, I think we first met in San Diego at the, we did a clean comedy conference, I think. That is correct. Uh, and then we later uh, reconnected the the CCA, mm -hmm. um, which is the uh, Christian uh, Comedian Association. Yep. And one of the things that I always start off, uh, one of the things I love about your act um, is uh, you have such commitment levels um, in what you do in your physicality. And you probably know the bit I'm talking about already, but you don't have to do it. It's uh, You do this bit about wham, and that's all I'll say about that. But like your commitment level throughout that bit is so good and it's so funny and that it just really builds to it and i just uh um one it's a it's a tremendously funny bit it's a great idea and uh i'll just do a short version of it it's basically you saw a reunion tour or of wham but it was without george michaels Correct. um and so it's it's uh but uh, yes. yeah hilarity ensues and you know, standing ovations everywhere. But it was a great, great bit. And I, I think, like I said, you're very clever. You're very funny. And you have oh, a great uh, performance. You're, you're uh, an incredible f performer on stage. And I, I just love uh, watching you work. So, uh, Thank you. That's super nice. Wow, you're a really good host. Um, oh, thank you. <laughs> right at home now. And what's uh, funny is that that bit to me is, it was one of my first bits I ever wrote. And it's also, I mean, it's a lot of people's favorites, but it's, it defines the commitment level, like you said, and that's the thing a lot of people say, like, oh my gosh, you're so committed to it. Because if you don't, it ain't gonna work. I yeah, mean, that'll fall you'll, flat so hard if you if you do not commit. But you you go yeah. with it full bore and it just, it works. Yeah, I got heckled once during that joke, which is funny. 
But anyway, because <laughs> it's a weird did, one to get heckled with, and then, like you said, with a commitment. But I didn't let it. I didn't let it get to me, and I finished it out. So, um, but yeah, I I just kind of to me that that bit kind of spells everything else for the rest of my stuff. If you can't give a hundred percent to it, a hundred percent of the time, you know, I just I don't like it when you know. Oh, I gave up on that joke. Well, shucks. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You got to go out and swing for the fence every time. I think so. Yeah, I, I think uh, the last time yeah we were together, we were at a, a contest, a comedy contest. Yeah, the, uh, and, the, the barbecue yeah. place. Yep. Yeah, the barbecue place, which you know, you know, it's good already. And um, I, I was talking to, uh, I think, John Brandon. I think I said this to you, and I'm like, I hate uh, contests because it makes me, like, competitive. It makes me, like, uh-huh. jealous. It makes me angry, um, all of that sort of stuff. And it makes me the kind of person I don't like to be. And I was like, but you know what? I'm going to just I'm gonna just let it go. I'm going to try to just embrace this and have a good time. And just uh, whatever happens, happens. And the way the, the contest was set up, for people who don't know, this is a, set up a little differently. They had four different rounds of like three comics per round. So it was a round of three, a round of three, a round of three, a round of three. And the audience would vote on who wins. Or it was like three rounds of four. One of the, I think it was three rounds of four. And uh, so the audience would vote um, on who won each round. And Brian won up and was great. And I was like, okay, perfect. I'm like, well, he'll be in the next round. And, uh, you know, I'll probably have to go through Brian for this one. And, um Somebody in his round went up and did nothing but street jokes, which are like out of the book, knock, knock jokes, like just stuff that you would see on the internet. And he ended up winning over Brian. And then I turned to Brian and I said, and that's why I hate contests. (laughs) uh, They were voting with money too. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. It was like their vote was a dollar. You like wrote the name. I think you wanted on the money. Yes. Commit a felony. Uh, right. to, to do that, which, which by the way, the winner I don't think got that money. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where uh, that money went. No, the winner got the money, paid for some. Oh, okay, so winner takes all, pays yeah. for the barbecue for everyone. That's good. $77 to be exact. I had, did I have, I think I had the little girl in my round too. No, she was in mine because I tied she in your her. round. Okay. Yeah, she was because I tied her. <laughs> I've been doing comedy 20, 22 years, and I'm up against a girl from who's thirteen years old. She's great now, but we She's tied. Great, but yeah, <laughs> and I, I was kind of like, all right. And so then I was like, okay, we'll just have her advance. You know, I don't care. You know, I want to go watch somebody else perform somewhere else. And and then they were like, now we're gonna bring both of them up on stage, and you get to vote by applause. And I was like, no. Yes, like, I remember. I'm not going to say she cried. Um, and then at that point, I'm like, Brian should be spelling his name with a Y. Exactly. What a loser. What a jerk. <laughs> so funny. That, that was one of the most fun in terms of like those types of contests. I think I recall because it was one of those things where a lot of times those contests, you've seen everybody or seen most of the people perform. This was like, I hadn't seen it. It was like, it was fun right. to watch. And like it felt so much more like supportive of everybody. That's what was yeah. so fun about it. Was just like you're you're hoping everybody's doing great, and everybody did. I mean, it was just fun, flat it out. Was, fun. It was it was weird. I'll say that it was definitely fun. It was definitely fun, but it was some very bizarre circumstances. So um, yeah, that could go down as your. Uh, if anybody asks you what's the weirdest contest you've been in, well, there's, that's that's that, got to be that's, right up. 
That's definitely the weirdest contest. Yeah. Uh, but we will ask about the weirdest show uh, coming okay. up a little bit later. So right. uh, but let's find out a little bit about you anyway. Uh, what what inspired you to start performing? Um, I So I don't come from a family that's really like um, entertainment bound or anything else like that. Uh, my dad was a farmer. Um, but my dad was, you know, I'm, my dad's Japanese and my dad was uh, pretty, eh, not extremely traditional as most people might think in terms of what their opinion of Japanese people are very stern. I mean, my father was like that, but he was, um, he, he was very cool in that, you know, he always said to me, you're really funny. You should go to clown school. I'm going to send you to clown school. This should be the thing. I'm going to send you to clown school and that's what you should do. And, uh, I was just, yeah, whatever dad. Uh, so <laughs> I'm in high school, same thing. You should go to clown school. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, whatever. So, by the time I got out of high school, even college, I started my business when I was 20. I, I own a video production company. I was very much that 1980s cliche kid. I want to make money. I want to make it in this world. So uh, that was me. It was the, the Michael Fox family ties. You know, it's just like, yep. you know, let's do that. And then um, I don't know. I mean, I had my video. I still have my video business to this day. But I mean, I, uh, I guess I was 32. And then my wife was pregnant with our son. And I had a buddy of mine who was another producer and he's like, you should, you should come on my radio show and you should be my sidekick. And for years I heard people say, you're funny. You should do this. You should go into comedy. You should do something. And like, I just pushed it off as like nice novelty. I'm not interested kind of thing. Cause I'm not a performer, but the radio thing just clicked with me. Something was there. I was able to do like a lot of things on that show. Um, actually you would probably, I don't know. Do you know I do impressions? No, I did not. I don't do them in my act, but I got on my radio show. That's primarily what I did all the time. I would do the call oh, no, in, I would do this and that. And so did you have a signature? Kind of, I, I, I won't ask you to do it. Cause I, I hate that. But did you have a signature one? The one that got me noticed like nationally, which kind of kickstarted all of it. I used to do, uh, I could do the Burt Reynolds laugh. So that's kind of what set it off. We did a thing okay. called punked was the big thing at the time. Yes. So we did our own version called Burt Reynolds Celebrity Crank Calls. So the idea was that Burt Reynolds would just crank call people, laugh, and then hang up. So oh, that's basically, yeah, it just everything ended. I'll try to do the laugh for you. It's been a long time because <laughs> the relevancy of Burt Reynolds at this point. Um, so it was just like, you know, it'd be ring. And then, uh, yeah, this uh, Ryan Seacrest. Yes, it is. Click. <laughs> and then the music, and then we were done. So that's kind of where it started. So, but... Uh, yeah, but I used to do, I'd call ins and, but anyway, that ended. And then I ended up uh, looking for another creative outlet and I ended up seeing an ad for an improv troupe. Tried out for that, made that, did improv for three years ish. Okay. And then uh, I met Mike James there. He was in the troupe. Mike kind of challenged me, said, hey, let's try stand up. Tried it and kind of kind of gone from there. So <laughs> that's, that's huh. my. That's my journey late in life. I didn't do stand up until I was 40, 40, 40, 41, 41. Wow. Did yeah. you have any um, like influences growing up at all as far as like stand ups that you liked and watched or? Yeah. I mean, I love, I was a huge Steve Martin fan. Uh, okay. Still am. Um, Cheech and Chong was all uh, around our house, inappropriately around our house um, <laughs> when I was younger. Uh, older brother, older sister. Um, then. Sure, uh, sure. And the Robin Williams, Robin Williams became uh, like when I was uh, sixth grade, fifth, sixth grade is when uh, Mork and Mindy hit and that. And so that kind of, that's funny too, because I bought that album when I was a kid. That's pre, you know, sticker. 
parental mm -hmm. advisory at that point. So um, those, I would say, are my three major that I listened to a lot when I was a kid. Um, and I had another buddy of mine who, oddly enough, I'm trying to convince him even now to become a comic, but he's a chiropractor. But he was big on Carlin and, uh, and um, I, um, Richard Pryor. He had all their albums and then I had the rest. So we'd sit around for hours as kids watching, I mean, listening to everything. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know, a little bit of those guys. I love the sketch stuff. I love that. Um, and I think that's radio played into the Cheech and Chong stuff. And then I try to, I don't know, my, my acts kind of diversified a little bit. So I think it's really, that's kind of the Steve Martin influences, the silliness and then trying to do a lot of different things. And then I think the improv stuff came from watching just Robin Williams create out of nothing. I think that's mm -hmm. where that interest came from. So each one kind of, I think, influenced in a different way. So, where did uh, where did the because now I have to talk about where did the impressions come from? How did you get to that? I was so enamored as a little little kid with Rich Little. Mm -hmm. To say little one more time, um, I just it was that one. He was always on Carson, you know, and so and then I remember them playing that clip of him doing I don't know it was something like a hundred impressions or something or in three minutes or something. I just remember thinking, that's cool. Someone's voice coming out of somebody else's voice. Right. So the first, the first impression I really ever remember doing oddly enough was I was eight years old doing Jimmy Carter. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the weirdest thing. I practiced that as a kid. Like, you know, I can't remember what I used to say. Cause what does a kid say? Cause I was a political comedian when I was eight. <laughs> You're eight yeah. That's funny. Mine, mine was Reagan. So as a kid, right. so, uh, <laughs> it probably explains our age difference a little bit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> People who do impressions usually start with a president. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Probably My, uh, there was nothing to Ford. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Although I will say, remember Jim, uh, Jim Morris, the political impressionist who used to do Reagan back in the eighties. He did hmm. a great Gerald Ford because Ford's voice was kind of just, Nothing. It was kind of just a thing. I'm right. Ford. It wasn't. For all I know, that was a spot on Gerald Ford, though. <laughs> I think most of the people listening would agree. Uh, mm -hmm. They would agree that we're not sure. Right. All, <laughs> For all you know. But, uh, so, so with the impression, uh, now, now I'm, I'm fascinated because I don't, I don't talk to anyone who does impressions really. So, um, so now when, when did you? Um, so you started doing. Uh, when you're eight and then you started to, how do you develop them in your head? Kind of like you're curious. So do, do they just kind of come naturally to you or do you pick somebody and go, I want to do that voice and let me focus on it. I've been very, it's, I know some comics, I don't You and I can have a really long conversation on this. I'm sure. Yes. Um, rarely has anybody said, can you learn how to do this? Um, usually it's something I have to like, like want, and then hear repeatedly. Mm -hmm. And then kind of, it kind of comes that way. Um, I remember in high school, though, a friend of mine said, you got to learn how to do David Lee Roth, which <laughs> to a degree, it's not bad. I can get through just a gigolo and a karaoke with people standing up. That's that good. Um, <laughs> but anymore, <laughs> there's David Lee Roth, am I right? I got all right. these, I got a bag full of impressions. <laughs> um, so well, we um, just need to do a retro show. Like we just need to do exactly. a retro show so I can break out some of my old ones. You can break there out you your go. old ones. Let's, exactly let's do this. It. Let's do this. I love this Make idea. That's right. I do the same thing with, I used to do the same thing in karaoke. I would sing like Kermit the Frog. I would sing Rainbow mm -hmm. Connection. 
And I would win right. so much money at those contests because right. they, they just weren't expecting Kermit the exactly. Frog. Exactly. It's kind of funny. I, it, a lot of it's you just hear. And if your voice is in yeah. that range, it's kind of easy to do and you kind of fall into it. And then you're like, the funny thing is you say like Kermit the Frog. Now that there's other people doing Kermit the Frog, the voice has changed a little bit. Yes. So like, well, my impression is based on, you know. Jim Henson. Jim Henson. Yeah. And now it's just a little bit off. It's like, that doesn't yeah. sound like it. You know, you're like, wait a minute. It's more, huh? You know, it's got to be yeah. a little octave higher. It's so true. Like all the Mel Blanc stuff, all of the, mm -hmm. the Looney Tunes, the Hanna-Barbera, like all of that stuff. It's all yeah. shifted just slightly. And like even Winnie the Pooh and Tigger and all that. It's all different now. And Droopy's different. And yeah. So the, by the way, the new guy doing the new, the brand new uh, um, Bugs Bunny, Warner Brothers stuff mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. spot on. He's got oh, the really? voice. Um, I forgot his name. I follow him on Instagram and he's just, he's, he's on, on task. It's great. Because huh. you want that, you want that real like, Neh. yeah, he's got it. He's like right that's good. there, that, you know, kind of thing. So that's really cool. Actually, yeah, you know, I, do you ever do an impression that you didn't think you could do suddenly? <laughs> like, oh, that's yes. pretty close. That wasn't bad. You know? Yeah. Then you then you just kind of dial in on it. You go, okay, let me tweak this and tweak that. But uh, I couldn't do I couldn't do anything from Mel Blanc until I saw him, uh, and he said that Bugs Bunny was a, a Bronx ac accent and a Brooklyn accent combined. And I was like, wow, oh, that makes sense. There is something to the reveal of the impression I always find fascinating when somebody yeah. says, like, a friend of mine called me up and he said, if you want to do uh, Gregory Peck. You do Forrest Gump, and then you slow it down. Mm -hmm. So life is like a box of chocolates. No, no, no. I'm sorry. It's Hank Hill. If you do Hank Hill, and then you slow it down, it's Gregory Peck. And it's <laughs> it's there. It's dialed, yeah. dialed in, I think. It's like, huh, okay. That's yeah, how was, I... uh, I'm sorry. Forrest Gump slowed down is Al Gore. Sorry. Okay. There you go. <laughs> Slash Hank Hill. There you go. Exactly. It all it's all the same. It's true. it's true. You you learn how many voices kind of um are very, very similar. Like yeah. Kermit the Frog and Ernie are obviously were both played by Jim Henson, right. and they're just a, a, a slight twitch, you know. It's a I hold the frog here and then yeah. oh hey bird, it's rubber ducky. You know, it's, it's they're very and it's attitude. Yes. You know. Uh hi ho. Right. It's very yeah. open. You know. By the way, I always thought I always loved uh, the Muppet News Flash, mm -hmm. and I thought, why are we not examining more Kermit the Frog with the Muppet News Flash? Like, but doing serious news—that would be the weirdest thing ever to like really cover, you know, a debate or <laughs> a disaster as Kermit the Frog <laughs> with the trench coat. You know, uh, I am here during Hurricane Laura, um, <laughs> getting blown away. Exactly, hanging on to a pole with the little leg that we all want to see. Um, that would be great. Who wouldn't want to see that? Yeah, but I yeah, think you watch the news. Then is what I'm saying. I think so. I, but I, I think that that's interesting that you say that because um, I that's how I, I ended up getting um, Alan Rickman was I took Doctor Evil from Austin uh -huh. Powers and I just turned it down. So if you take Doctor Evil and you turn it down and turn it down and turn it down. All I want are some shocks with freaking lasers, you know, and it's the same like yeah. speech uh, and everything. So it's, it's very, very cool that uh, yeah. all that. Yeah. The mechanics of it are kind of hard to explain. I mean, you, you're, you understand what I'm saying. I, I, I get do. what you're saying on these two and it's like, 
It's interesting. Um, there's, there's actually uh, one of the things I've been doing during COVID is there's, uh, and I'm not doing it as much as I, I probably should be. I should be just head on into it because it would help a lot. There's a, um, a video that I found on, on YouTube and they break down all of the different uh, functions of, you know, larynx, vocal cords, oh, right. uh, soft palate, tongue, all of that and do exercise. And they show how to do certain impressions based on a, like a super technical um, way. So it's like, okay, for this, you want to raise your larynx and you want to tighten your vocal cords and you want to put your, you know, your soft palate here and you want to have your tongue here. And it, it's like super uh, technical, but it's like, if I can learn how to control, like, I, I think we, you know, we do them instinctually, right. you know, without knowing it. We just go, oh, I just do this with my voice. And we don't realize we're, we're lowering our larynx or we're raising our larynx or whatever. But yeah. if, if we can harness that, like, ability and practice that muscle movement, mm-hmm. then that will unlock a whole, like, world of voices. Actually, what you just said is one, re- one reason I, I do a few impressions in my act, not much. But the main reason I don't is... You know how it is when you go to do an impression, if you try to do it cold out of the gate, mm-hmm. it is tough. <laughs> you, you you nail it. But a lot of times it's like, eh, uh, uh, and then you're there, you know? Mm-hmm. It's weird. I remember on the radio show, it was kind of one of those things where I'd have to really prep, get close to the mic, kind of hear my breathing, and then I could do it. Yeah. Like, like why everyone else was talking in the room and then be able to present it. Because sometimes I just feel like, man, if you come out a little wrong, Cause you know, you got to sell it yeah. off that right out of the gate. Yeah. Uh, so that's one reason too, but that's interesting when you're talking about if you can master all that too, and you can bring it up when you need, that's great. Yeah. There's there are certain characters, characters that, but you know, yeah, there's, there are certain characters and voices. I have to say a certain phrase, like Kermit, I have to start with or else I can't get into right. it. Like if you would say, say this word and I'd be like, I can't, but I have, so I have to say this phrase first to get the right. muscles where they need to be. And then I can, Go on and say it. I've heard uh, Kevin Pollack was talking uh, about the one-word impression. Mm. It's a one-word impression yeah. that has to be a word and the attitude and inflection, everything that encompasses the character. And the example he used was Liam Neeson. And the word they came up with was um, banana. <laughs> you know, it's just, but he said it's kind of like if, if he does that beforehand, then he, it gets him into the character quickly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then he can go from there, you know, kind of thing. So it's very, uh-huh. I think it's interesting. Everybody's kind of take on it. Yeah. Dude, I had no idea you could do this. We're going to have to, we're going to have to play one of these nights. Yeah. I do a lot more pre-records as with the voices than I do in my set. You yeah. Know, I'm working on a thing. It's not working. I can't figure out, but I'm doing this thing probably for several reasons. It's not working out, but doing uh, Ray Romano, but doing it in Japanese. Okay. And it's just not, it's falling flat. I think it's my setup is not there because I think okay. the the impression's good enough, and I don't think people have forgotten who Ray Romano is. But conceptually, I'm doing a Japanese, a traditional Japanese comic, and I do okay. the, the idea is it's supposed to be a bad joke. Is the deal? So I do the first one is basically you know, what's the deal with sushi? How come we don't cook it? And then I do this whole yeah, like it's the greatest <laughs> joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> big bow, even though nobody laughs, but everybody starts laughing because they realize it's supposed to be bad. And the second joke is. Um, uh, I was on the phone with a Chinese friend. He says, uh, hey, do you want to buy oranges? I said, I don't understand. Oh, that's right. You don't speak Mandarin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The third one is I do the impression. But I used to do Jay Leno, but it just seemed dated. So I started doing the Ray thing. But the Ray thing is just, but I'd learned, I had to learn a Japanese phrase for it, which was uh, basically the idea is just everybody loves Raymond. And then it's like, this, this scene is just 
I think that's the worst part about doing impressions is when they become dated. It's like, no, because yeah. it takes so long to dial them in. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, I don't care. I'm still going to do it. Like, that's why I'm glad that, like, you know, Creed came out a couple of years ago. All right, Stallone's back in. Like, <laughs> back in the pop culture. Like, that's exactly it. You're like, here's a ditty from uh, 1986, you know, <laughs> whatever it might be. Yeah, it's just weird. Yeah, over the years, too, there was impressions that I used to do that just have faded out. Yeah. Like, uh, it's not gonna worry about it. So. And, and for me, I, I learned Alan Rickman like right as he died, and so yeah. then I was just like, I don't care. <laughs> I'm still doing it. <laughs> I have worked hard on this. That's right. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I have a pretty uh, decent. Uh, so I have a pretty decent Dennis Miller, which is for nothing at this point in anybody's <laughs> life, uh, but. We should do. We should do like an obscure voices podcast. Just all these random. <laughs> uh, it's for a very limited audience. That's right. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, that's There's funny. For it somewhere, Brian. Hey, who wants Jimmy Natowski from Taxi? Huh? Exactly. Hey. <laughs> Who wants that? Anyway, all right. Well, <laughs> we definitely need to talk more about this. So this yeah, is definitely sure. we got to have some. We got to do some fun things to go. We can definitely uh, have fun with voices. Um, so now, do you remember your first stand-up show that you did? I do. Um, so I was still doing the radio show, and then I had a friend of mine who was a comic who said, "Do you want to host it?" And I said, "Sure," because I was apparently didn't know any better. So I said, "Sure," <laughs> and then I kind of wrote out what little jokes I had. Right. But the problem was on the radio show, my my radio partner, Stephanie, she would do the setups. All I had to do was punches. I wasn't thinking that through. So when I went up, it was horrible, right? I mean, it was just, I had one joke that worked out of the rest of them. It was just babbling. Um, so then I never, I, I said I would never do it again. So it wasn't, it was four years later. Yeah, until I actually did stand up again. And by that time, uh yeah, it was after improv and everything else, so it was a little bit easier. Still very um, yeah. insane. On can't believe how much my body was like ugh, after it was over. Yeah, it's crazy. Now I respected it, I think, and now I knew it was a little bit more nerve wracking to actually do it. Um, and people I knew were there, so it's like, but yeah, I remember getting off just like having the worst headache in my body, just feeling like it was just tight the whole time, and finally like released. So yeah, I remember it well. <laughs> That's funny. Now I um I have never been an improv guy um and I actually took an improv class last year. Okay. It was like a tool that I was lacking. You know, I felt that I might be lacking. You know, I'm like I could sharpen this tool. Uh and it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life because you just get programmed of two decades of write, edit, 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 get it yeah. perfect, get it perfect, get it perfect, get it funny, get it funny, get it funny. And there they're just like, just say whatever, man. Just say whatever comes to yeah. your brain, and that's fine. And I it it it's absolutely just I, I would try, they would do they would do a, a drill or whatever, and I could just see my brain just lock, just go yeah. and, and I could not get out of that rut. You're so was you doing that part of your brain? Yeah. Yeah. So you with you that. starting with improv, do you think that was an easier transition to go in, into stand-up? Because they're very sure. different disciplines. 
Um, I, so I don't know if you know this, but I actually, I teach improv at the, mm -hmm. at my home club, uh, uh, stir crazy comedy club, Glendale, Arizona. Um, and if you're a comic, I cannot get you booked. So, okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because we're closed right now anyway. Um, no, but a lot of times I see like, there's a lot of good comics have good material, but they don't know how to perform and improv will give you, gives you a lot of performance, you know, um, because you're on stage and you're you're doing it from nothing and you've got to figure out how to really sell what you're doing very quickly because you're you're scene oriented, you know? Mm -hmm. You have to move around, you have to pick up an invisible cup and pass it or open up something or you have, you gotta use your whole body in it. And then when it transfers over to imp for from improv over to stand-up, then I think now you know how to use your voice, create a character, do an act out, and stay in the light. This is a big big pet peeve. I always see comics dip into the light. It's like, oh, where are they now? No, people can't see what's going on. Um, but I think it really does help you in your writing too. It clears your mind, gives you different options too. You can kind of run through the gamut of like, okay, where does this take me in this joke? And, um, you know, I've been toying with the idea. Actually, I have a, I have a pseudo class that I'm doing right now as a test class with some friends, um, improv for standup, which is strictly just improv, improv techniques and how do you apply them. So learn them from me. Uh, be able to use them and then implement that into your standup. Um, hmm. And so far, they're they love it, you know, because it is actually accessing that different part of your brain, so that you can say, okay, you know, that, the yes and thing. Just say yes, okay, because a lot of times too, you uh, you know, you're quick to say no to yourself when you're editing. Right. Like you said, you edit so much, you're like, oh, that's dumb. No, that's stupid. Okay, next, <laughs> you didn't give the joke a chance, you know. Right. So it's just see where it takes you and and see what, but say yes. I, I think my standup is actually really based in the yes and because I try to like, you know, there's a lot of guys who are like, oh, my marriage. And then they go off on like what's wrong with their marriage. Um, even if I have something wrong in my marriage, I yes it to a positive. Like, I love it when my wife complains. Right. How else am I going to know when I'm not doing things correctly? You know, just turn it. Right you know, make it more positive because there is a lot of wah, wah, a lot of times from a lot of comics with let's just keep it on the down. Like we're all suffering together, right? In our marriages, you know? Well, yeah. yeah I, it, that's one thing I've always said. I've always seen that. It, and it's, it's always, everyone's always like bagging on it, bagging on it, bagging on it. It's like, no, like embrace it and enjoy it. And there's, there's positives to it. And, uh, and it's also the same too. I don't know if you see, I see so many comics that go out there and talk about what a loser they are. And how terrible they are with women and how they're inadequate in certain situations. And then right. you see him after the show trying to pick up women. And you're like, why right. would you think that you're going to pick up somebody after listening to what you just talked about and how terrible right. you are at everything for the past 20 minutes? It's yeah. so fun. It's so odd what you People, put out there. Yeah, it's very weird. But so, yeah, just that whole improv thing, though, is, is, um, do you, do you do any like do you do a lot of crowd work as a result or you know it's funny I don't um, lately I've been trusting myself well, lately pre pandemic um, I've been trusting myself a lot more um, I like to do what I like to call reactionary crowd work so if something happens somebody says something or something in the front you know um, kind of just you know be able to talk to the audience in that way based on something that's already happened in the room you know I don't go out to the what do you do kind of mentality. But um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not afraid of the audience to talk to them. I just, mm -hmm. just depends. I got to feel it if it's right. Um, and there's some nights it goes well, but I do a lot of um, stand-up improv shows 
so Mike James uh, and I, again, we were in the improv troupe together and now we're doing stand up together. Um, Grace has done a few shows with us too, doing that where we basically do stand up at the beginning. Um, and then the second half of the show is improv. So it's kind of nice. Mm -hmm. The audience gets to know who we are as individuals, gets to know our sense of humor as individually. And then we do, we'll do like a sketch in the middle to kind of segue over to the next second half. And then the second half, then we, then we can pull audience members up. Um, and then they get to have fun. Then it seems less intimidating because they kind of, they feel like they know us at that point. A right. Bit, so. Yeah. So they're willing to go, I'll well, come up. So. Well, uh, an interesting show, because uh, I've done a couple of them here in San Diego. It's called Stand Up vs. Improv. And so what okay. they'll do is they'll have a, a comic go up and they'll do five minutes or whatever. And then the improv team will go up and incorporate the things that were in his act and kind of just expand on it and do scenes based off of it and all of that. Cool. And it's actually kind of a cool thing. They go, Hey, if, you, if we cool. come up with something you can use, you know, take that into your act and incorporate it if you'd like. Yeah. And so, you know, they may take it a different direction that you go, Oh wow. I never thought of, you know, going sure. somewhere. With it. And then after that, they would do another comic and then they would, you know, they would do like 10 minutes, uh, you know, five minutes on and then like 10, 12 minutes of improv based off of his scenes or his, uh, his act. And they did that uh, three times and it worked really well. It was a really cool dynamic. So it's yeah, that's a, actually that's a really cool concept. Um, yeah. yeah it's, it's interesting that there's a little bit more, it used to be a little bit of stand up versus um, in a bad way, improv. Yeah. <laughs> World's not getting together or something, but I think there's so much, there's so much uh, I think for stand up they could totally learn from improv. Because the funny mm -hmm. thing is, if you're a good stand-up and your career's going great and you want to segue into commercials and stuff, you you should have some improv skills. So for those auditions alone, um, plus the world's changed too. You look at like Larry David and the way he does his show. It's just, uh, it's more of an outline. This is what needs to be said. And this is where we need to be at the end of the scene. No script, just improvise it. And you, you got to have those chops, you know, a little bit to yeah. be able to do it. So. And there's something about improv too. It's just, um, I don't know. There's been several times we've gotten in a situation where it's like, we're doing how long you thought we're doing what? Okay. Okay. Yeah. We can fill the time. We'll, we'll figure it out. You know, maybe it's 15 extra minutes or something else. That's, that's fine. And it adds a variety, I think to the show too. So mm. I highly, I highly yeah, recommend I... taking it, even if they don't intend on ever performing improv, have the skill set. You know, you learn how to be a better listener. You learn how to, you know, learn some different techniques on how to write. Um, definitely, like I said, the performance stuff too. I mean, I, there's no way. Now, yeah. now, Brian, would you happen to know of a place again that, you know, I think you mentioned it before. Is there a place we, you know, teaches improv? <laughs> well, maybe in the course, Glendale area. My, my favorite would be stir crazy <laughs> comedy club. Uh, so you can always go to stircrazycomedyclub.com and uh, jump on there. There's no classes at the moment, but uh, soon, who knows? Who knows? <laughs> maybe some maybe some online classes. You know, By the time we're done, we might have to actually. There might be something up. So we'll yeah, see. Maybe we are we are currently recording as of uh, well, we're Labor Day today. So Labor Day today. Um, cool. so, so all right. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, all right. So anyway, let's uh, sorry. Let's get back to your your career. Um, now, how long did it take before things kind of clicked for you for the inconsistency of uh, you know comedy? So, you know, good um, show, bad show. Let's see. I would say probably 
I don't know, three years, I would say, where it's kind of like I felt like, okay, every show seems to be going very, very well now. Prior mm-hmm. to that, yeah, it's a hit and miss. Um, yeah, I think one thing, too, it's kind of an advantage is that, you know, I was older when I started. So I'm not talking about, you know, a lot of a lot of things like young guys will talk about, you know, dating or things going bad and that kind of stuff. I'm pulling a lot of stuff from real life and not, not too much observational stuff. So, like, um, I don't know, I had a bigger a larger, a longer life to pull from for, for mm-hmm. things. So I think that would kind of really helped. Um, and then most, you know, so I mean, uh, your, your relevance to the audience, I think is a little bit more broad, you know, to, to that base versus if I was too young, sometimes I yeah. see that. Happen. So, cause I see a lot of comics going, this audience looks old. I'm like, well, they're my age. So, <laughs> but, um, so I think that's kind of helped early on because i then again coming out of like i said about three years of improv kind of helped in terms of i could concentrate on the writing because i wasn't i wasn't so fearful being on stage i could actually <laughs> do my i wasn't learning both at the same time so i could just concentrate on working the jokes correctly and not being afraid to be up there right i, mean, I think so- it's funny now because if i know something is like this joke may or may not work again like the wham joke i'll go out and sell it 100 percent, and if it bombs i'm just like ah, eh, whatever and then, and then keep going it's not like oh no this guy's bombing and then it's you know it's just right like, all right no problem that was a new one and we'll just go on to the next one and see if that works and see how oh. that goes we are uh, currently talking with uh, brian kahatsu uh stand-up comedian uh, and improv uh, teacher as well, apparently. So uh, very, very funny. You can check him out at briankahatsu.com. That is K-O-H-A-T-S-U. So kohatsu.com. Uh, so check him out. Um, so what is your writing process like? Um, I'm going to quote Tina Fey here for a quick, quick, quick second. She said that improvisers are terrible writers. No, I'm sorry. She said, "Improvisers are improvisers are lazy writers." That's what she said, which is true. Um, a lot of so I will think of a concept, I will write it down, I will not verbatim write it out like a lot of comics. Well, I think I think how most comics are supposed to do it because I don't know because I wasn't really <laughs> and I wasn't trained correctly. Um, so even today, that's my thing. I kind of talk it out as I perform. It's not verbatim written down anywhere. I know it's horrible. I know. Don't shoot me. Um, so, but what you're asking is that was more than you need to know. Yeah, I, I'm. So I have, you know, I have people. Mike James, I write with all the time, and that seems to be some kind of open. It's just an open thing. During the day, I'll get texts or you know, IM messages, and we'll just back and forth on a joke. Maybe we're working on. Um, other times, we do have set times where we actually do sit down and write. Um, Mike actually developed. Uh, a writing um, app um, that we kind of use where we can, it's kind of more, you can put a subject in and then we kind of all can contribute to it. You know, if we get a writer's group together um, mm-hmm. and then, but you do that pre-week and then when you actually meet, then we can go over the stuff and you kind of look. Um, so there's a several different ways. Um, mine usually come, I don't know why this is first thing in the morning material comes to my head or from showering. Those are the two places where I get the majority of like stuff that I want to really pursue and have worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times too, it might be just something that's said amongst my family that I start riffing on. Um, and then I, I have to write it down because I never remember what I said. So what was that thing you guys all loved and were laughing at? I don't know. And then that joke's lost forever. So <laughs> um, they're the worst writing group 
<laughs> ever. So don't write with my family, anybody. Um, but yeah, so if I'm going to write material, say that's not that's outside of the family, that's kind of how that gets written. The rest of it, honestly, um, my family's pretty interesting. So I do get a lot of uh, uh, material from them. Like I said, my guy, my wife's, I've known my wife my entire life, like since third grade. So there's a lot of material in terms of just net knowing somebody for that long. Um, I'm working on this thing now about shared memories because, because we do sometimes I think, oh yeah, that happened to me. No, that, oh, that happened to you. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. That was me. So um, you're the one who had the babies, not me. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> um, but just stuff like that, where it's right. like, you know, and then like, even with her job too, I mean, my wife is not like the normal wife for a lot of people. I mean, one, I'm, like I said, known her my whole life, but secondly, she's very, she was, uh, she played college basketball. She's a professional golfer. She was on tour. Um, she likes to, she's, she's, she's rebuilt a car with her father from the floor up. Um, like I say, she's, she's, um, she's more the man of the house than I am. So but I'm fine with that. Um, but there's a lot of just scenarios that she does that just, are just naturally strange and my kids are in high school. So a lot of weirdness comes with that too. So it's just keeping an eye on ear and, you know, and I'm, I, I'm very good at not spelling family, you know, my daughter, I'm sure if I, there was, there's things I could say that would humiliate her, but I don't, I don't, I'm a good dad. Yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't do it on stage. So, um, so yeah, it's just kind of, yeah, it's strange. My eyes and ears are always open, but yeah, I like, but I do, I love corroborating with um, comics and, hanging out so. definitely i think it's i think that's uh, an important part of it uh, is to have someone to bounce ideas off of someone who understands the process and but they have to understand your voice they have to understand you know like there, there are certain aspects of writing with people oh you should write with comics well you want to make sure yeah. everyone is somebody you respect um and that Correct. is good uh, I've tried doing writing groups with people and you know you're trying to write a joke and you go, what if you just fart there you know it's right. like no right i think i think i'm gonna you know Go talk right. to somebody else. So, thank you so for the, the input. But no, yes, I appreciate uh, that. You know, Brian, this is one thing too. I think you can uh, you can kind of really understand um, based on what we talked about earlier. You know, if people don't know your range of your voice, the voices you can do, the characters mm -hmm. you can do, or what you can do completely, it's very difficult for them to say, "Oh, hey, what if you did a wham joke and then you did this?" No one would ever have that idea for me, right? Naturally, to know that I would be able to pull off that type of joke or whatever. Um, so it's interesting, like you say, to write for your voice and knowing what your voice is, it's very difficult when they don't know your full range. Cause like, right. I could, you know, but if I know you do a certain impression, I could say, what if you put this person, you know, in this position, right? You know, there's something there because of, and it could be because of something happened in pop culture that boom, bam, Yosemite, Sam, you know, Brian, right. Again, right. that look like, you know, today. You know, something like that. Just, but you got to know you can do it, you know? Right. Well, so, even even within that, even or without uh, talking about voice specifically, but the, the tone of your act, mm -hmm. you know, like I'm not going to come up to you and be like, all right, how about you say you punched her in the face? Right. You know, like, you know, or, right. you know, you know, some sort of joke that is just not the style that you do or the, the you know, the content that you do or your personality at all. And so there's that when you're writing with other comics, you have to kind of yeah. go, how would how would Brian say it? How would this person say it? How would you know? How would it come Typically, out? Typically, it's those it's those weird taglines people give you. Mm. It will be like, and then you punch her in the face. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're the joke. Okay. 
right. Well, <laughs> again, thanks for your input. Exactly. <laughs> I'll talk to the park guy. Exactly. <laughs> you guys got a you guys got a good album coming out, I can tell. And then those two guys became famous. Famous. <laughs> <laughs> they got their own special. They're killing it. I love yep, it. They're doing great. So uh, let me ask you this. What is the best piece of advice that you received about uh, comedy? Oh, Brian, I'm old, so I wrote down a lot of these things in case you ask me. <laughs> um, best I <laughs> advice received. Um, a lot of stuff. You know, I, I read a lot of books <laughs> before I started doing stand-up. I didn't take any classes, so I read a lot of books. But I can't remember if it's... Um, might have, I can't remember. I'm going to probably misquote somebody. It was either – you read Comedy Toolbox, by the way? I'm not – I have not, not. I don't get any money for this. Comedy Toolbox, this is by um, John Vorhaus. It's a very good book about uh, not just stand-up, but comedy in general. It's a very good book. So writing comedy, sitcoms, film, whatever. It's kind of interesting to look at that. It's either him, maybe Judy Carter, possibly. I can't remember what book I read it. But it was something about salesmanship of the joke. You know, you're a salesman and you have jokes to sell to people. And if they laugh, that means they bought it. So it's always that having to go out and present it accordingly. And that's always in my mind, because if you don't if you don't do your setup correctly and you and you don't perform it correctly, then they might go, eh. you know, so you want to be on your A game. So that's one thing I always um, even in improv, too. It's one of those don't short yourself, go out there, give a hundred percent on whatever, even if you don't think this joke is the best, you better go out there and think it's the funniest joke you've ever heard. Mm -hmm. Because especially with improv, when you're like coming up with the idea and you walk out there, if you kind of mm, halfway it, people know he doesn't yeah. make money and then they don't laugh. I've sold doing improv. I've sold jokes that should not have been funny. You know, the act out of whatever silliness it was gets a laugh. And then a lot of times you feel guilty, like they should not have laughed at that, but it's improv. It was in the moment. And, and they kind of respect that too, knowing hey, he just came up with that. It's not like, you know, he, he filled in that gap for 10, 20 seconds for us, which was funny. Um, but that's always in the back of my head is just, it, and that's more of a performance thing of just, you gotta, you gotta sell it. So from those books, that's what I've got. Um, that whole, the Steve Martin famous quote of be undeniable. That's mm -hmm. always in my head too. Just like they can't, if they hate yeah. you for any other reason, fine. But if you're performing and you're doing your best out there and, and, and everybody agrees to that, then great. Uh, strive for that, you know, that, uh, that goal. And then um, there's one more I had. Oh, the other thing too, is like, this is, this is from my father. It does it's not com comedy related, but my dad was always um, very quiet man who would very, very, like if you met him, he would, he would, he would ask you a lot of questions and sit and listen. And he said, you just got to be quiet around people and listen to what they're saying. You'll learn a lot about somebody if you just let them talk. And kind of, you know, pre-show too, you watch the audience. You kind of see what kind of mood they're in. You kind of know early on. And you kind of get a feel too if you listen to the act before you. Like what kind of comic they are, first of all, and what kind of material they're putting out. Then you also get to see the audience's reaction, whether or not they like what he's doing. And then, but just sit, be quiet in the moment and just kind of realize what's going on and go, okay, this is where I need to be for mm -hmm. this. But even like, I have this strange rule, Brian. It's uh, <laughs> like with comics in terms of my relationships with other comics, I always, you know, don't judge me on this, Brian. But it's like, I always, you know, friendships are always based on like, man, would I have this person over to my house? Would I have them over into my house with my family and my children and all that? Um, and 
you know, and that's kind of with anybody you meet that you're going to start a friendship with. But comics come from all different types. You know, I'm willing to be friends with everybody, but not everybody gets into the house, you know, kind of thing. So I, I like to talk to comics and I like to listen to them and I like to know their backgrounds. And, you know, I like learning about people. You know, a lot of times, too, they'll say things to you like, that's really fascinating. Tell me more, you know, or mm-hmm. there's a bit in there and they're not realizing it. Or maybe it helps you with a bit you've been writing. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a uh, comedians are weird. We're definitely a weird breed. And uh, it's nice to find good people that you can like kind of hang out with and, yeah. you know, that aren't uh, all on all the time or, um, you know, just you know, always jealous and always competitive and always this. And there's yeah. so much of that. I'm like, just, it's okay, dude. We're not on stage. We're, you're not right. getting paid right now. Like, let's just chill out. So I always, uh, when they're, when they're on all the time, those are the ones I really want to know more about. I want to know. So what, what's going on with <laughs> you in your life? You know, a lot of times there is, you'll find some stuff that you're like, you know, this, this guy's, you know, he's a good guy. Mm-hmm. He's just, He's either got some stuff going on at home or he's had a hard life or something like that. And just trying to get them to, you know, be a, just, just, just talk to me don't perform to me. Just be, yeah. Just just be a human. yeah. Just be a human for, yeah. for a few minutes. And I love that. I just love like real conversation with comics, you know? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's nice to have that. You know, I always kind of tend towards um, the, the, the comedy side of it, but I, I do try to make sure that I go, Hey, how's, How's everything at home? Everything good? You know, like yeah. try to keep that in mind too, because we are all people and we are all going through stuff. But I mean, I'll I'll talk shop forever um, with yeah. somebody. And that's one of the things I really connect with is if if you're passionate about what we do, then I'm just like, okay, I get it. But yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. This is uh, my favorite favorite question. I, we ask it to everybody. What was your worst show ever? Worst show ever? I got to go to my list because. You know, I gotta pick. I gotta pick one. <laughs> oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm glad I did this. I'm glad I wrote this down. So, <laughs> like that you have a, a whole list sorted out. This was um, probably my second, maybe my second or third year doing stand up, and they wanted to do a Veterans Day show, and they wanted to do it at uh, uh, in the East Valley here. They used to have Toby Keith's um, bar. So Toby Keith, the country singer, that he had a, a a really big dance bar here, and so the uh, lieutenant governor was there, the mayor of Scottsdale was there, the mayor of Tempe was there. They brought in all these, uh, you know, all, there was a lot of big wigs going to this this thing, and then they had, I think, there was five comics, and then they had um, another uh, another country western act. Some guy had a had a hit at the time. I don't, can't remember his name. Cause it was the only hit he had. Um, but the idea was, man, we're going to come out, we're going to have this great show. And so, but then the schedule got flipped and then they brought out the singer guy first because he had to be somewhere. So they set up and, you know, the band setup takes forever. They get that set up. They start playing. Everybody's dancing. This room is full of veterans and, 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 and current military all dancing and having a great time. They do their set, they get done. And then they bring out the first comic. And they are not having it. They're, like, they're, you know, they're they're all jazzed up and wanting to dance with their girls and have a good time. First guy goes up and uh, he's just, oh my gosh, it was rough. And not only that, he, I don't know what memo he got, but he was not clean. He actually went over the over the top to the point where management said, "You got to pull that guy off." Now, wow. Again, this is after several speeches and stuff. Anyways, after him 
then they brought up, well, this was bad. They brought up, um, they brought up Miss, Miss Texas um, for a moment of silence. And this was, I don't know how many people there. It was probably like 900 people easily. I mean, it was just packed. It was a huge place. And she goes, she got her little tear on and her Miss Texas. And she's like, could everyone please? And it's, all right, all right, all right. you know, she could barely hear her. Can everyone please join me for a moment of silence? And then like, not much of a hush, you know? And then she's like, thank you. And then I was like, wow. <laughs> so, so then I had to, I think I followed, no, she came up after me. That's right. Cause I went up and I, I literally did, I think two or three jokes. And then I heard, we want to dance. And I said, I want you to dance. And so I did one more, I said, I'll do one more joke and then I'm out of here. And I did. Cause it was like, it was crazy. I got off. Miss Texas came on, nearly cried, walked off. And then, uh, they, then they brought up the music and everybody was dancing. And I, I, Mike James was with me that night and I said, come here. And he goes, what? I said, we're going to go save a beauty queen. Cause she was like, mm. so we went in to the green room and I said, Hey, uh, can I get a picture with you? We wanted to get a picture with you. And she goes, Oh, this is exactly what she said. I heard he put my tiara away. I said, well, break it out. And she goes, okay. Then she put it on took the pictures. And then after that, she walked out all happy with her, with her tiara on. So I'm like, we saved a beauty queen. So I feel good about that. So, but it was, man, it was rough. I don't think, I don't think any of the other comics went after that. Did they, did management or anything say anything to you about just doing a couple jokes and that's it? Nope. They were, they were like fine with it because they realized the scenario that was going on. They got everybody wound up with the music and all that. And then, you know, I'm telling you, after that moment of silence, they realized, okay, this we messed this up. Yeah. Should have had the earlier, did our thing, bring out your politicians, bring out your music. You know, it was just like all of us were like, but it was one of those long marathon nights, especially because the politicians are making speeches. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's totally one of you asked that question. I was like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things where you don't realize like those sort of things affect the show. Mm -hmm. You know, and the order that when you do one of those nights, the order that things should go and you learn that, you know, it's like, okay, yeah. let's, you know, save, you know, the the big happy, like once the dancing starts and music starts, it's over. There's, there's yeah. no going back. And that's one of the scenarios too, where it, the order changed because the, the main act guy right. just wanted to go early and get out of there. Right. You, you messed up the whole show for everybody else, you know? That's funny. That is so funny. Those, those shows can be so you know, Honestly, I love vets. You don't mess with vets. Right. That's why when the guy said, we want to dance. I want you to dance. I do. <laughs> I want you to dance. I don't want to dance up here. So I'm going to leave. Put your life on the line so you had to listen to me. No, I want you to dance. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. So, uh, so we're going to ask this question. Uh, where's the weirdest place that you perform? What's the weirdest uh, set? Place? Yeah, I wrote a list on that too because there's some, there's some weird places. Let's see. Um, ooh, these are, you can ask good questions. You're <laughs> This, if you're just watching now, this show's stellar because they ask the best questions. Um, uh, oh yeah, oh yeah, that one too. Um, oh wait, you asked what was the question again? It was I'm the weirdest place. Weirdest place. Oh, weirdest place. I think right off the bat, it's got to be. Remember Tilted Kilt? Yes. Okay, so Tilted Kilt's headquarters is in Arizona, and in Tempe, I believe. 
What is Tilted they, Kilt for, for people who don't know? If you don't know, it's uh, they, the term is restaurant, um, where the ladies like to wear um, revealing clothing. They're not nude, but it's revealing clothing. Uh, and these girls were apparently, apparently they're Scottish. Um, so they all have the, the kilts on. And, uh, and that's kind of, that's really the theme. That's the whole thing. So yeah, it's like a Scottish Hooters, basically. Yeah. Scottish Hooters. Exactly. So somebody decided they wanted to do, they wanted to try to do a, uh, a book show during the week. And so, um, the money was really good. I mean, I got, when I get, I got a hundred bucks for 10 minutes. I'm like, yeah, I'll go. Um, get there but the thing is sports bar you know a lot of okay they had i'm not kidding you and probably this is probably exactly right right it's a little wood it's technically a box maybe it's that thick so it's that you're standing on there's one light above your head coming straight down the the microphone stand uh i don't know where they found it it looked like it was out of a garbage can because everybody when they put it back it would like clunk fall apart um and that was it. You had to stand in that one little spot and then all the games were still on and people were all watching. It was just, it was a nightmare. I'm like, this is really strange, you know, and a few tables, you know, they play, you know, it was a softball team came in, they were listening because they'd hear one or two laughs and you go, oh, right. Somebody is listening. Thanks guys. Um, that was weird though. It only lasted about a month or so, but um, I jump on those early, especially when they're like, we have money now. Well, you won't later. So I'll exactly. <laughs> I've done a lot of first shows for a lot of, a lot of, so a lot of first and last shows. That's why we're an old comedy vet, you know, like, Oh, a new room's opening up and they're paying. Well, how I'll get on it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> get on again. Get a few extra bucks this week, whatever. But uh, yeah, that was weird. That was a weird one. Um, and then I did an improv show with my troop. The original troop I was with probably had 18 to 20 people. And, mm -hmm. It was early on when we first opened, and one night there was no audience, just one one girl that was kind of on a pseudo date with one of the guys in the troupe. So it was 18 people performing to one. That was weird because especially improv, like, we need a volunteer. Okay, I guess you're coming up. So yeah. at that point, it becomes a workshop. Yeah. <laughs> it was just weird. Yeah. Those are. Yeah. yeah. There's plenty of weird ones. They're so odd. Um, let me ask you this. Uh, how do you deal with hecklers? Um, I'm not saying I've never gotten hecklers because that's just wrong. Um, there's a difference between that hardcore heckler and mm -hmm. then the, the guy who's just talking a little too much. Never had that hardcore guy. Um, but usually it's just one person talking. I, you know, I, it, it's kind of, it's kind of an improv thing. Yes. And, because mm -hmm. they want to be heard to some degree. So if they're overly whatever, then you yes them, like going, yeah, I agree. Yeah, whatever, whatever. Just kind of so they know that they hurt and then try to try to get them off subject. I've had strange. I have one joke that's kind of weird that's twice now I've had an issue, which has the heckle or we'll call it a heckle has nothing to do with what's going on. So I do a joke about women who wax their eyebrows and then draw them back on. And the idea is that they, they could show so much more emotion to their girlfriends if they used it as a dry erase board. Okay. So, Hey guys, <laughs> draw them back on. Right. So it's right. a whole thing like that. One lady, she just like big laugh, laugh subsides. I started into the next joke and she goes, that's not funny. And it was like, it was jarring because it was so late after the fact I said, where are you? And then she goes, that's not funny. And I said, I don't know. I heard people laughing, but Oh, wait, do you have, 
do you have do you draw your eyebrows on? And then everybody turned to her and said, Now everybody's looking at you. That's embarrassing, isn't it? Got <laughs> her up. And then uh another time I was up north here in Arizona, and um there was a guy who was uh Native American, and he was he had a few to drink. He's kind of laying on the table. And same thing, I did the same joke, <laughs> right? And then he yells out, um, because of the white man. <laughs> And I just said, yeah. And, and then he went and then head back down on the table. <laughs> That's like only, it's for some reason that joke. It's just weird. It's that, that joke. That's like weird. Non, it's the most non-offensive joke to eyebrow wearers, I guess. I don't know. But yeah, I just, you know, I, yeah, I just kind of talk it out. Real, I don't know. I, I always, I don't know. The few times it's happened, I get the crowd. I try to get the crowd on my side quickly. Like, ah, that's that's annoying. And then they all laugh and look or whatever. It's like, we're cool, right? He's he's be he's better than this, right? Yeah. Anyway, yeah. You know, I don't know. You, just do, you do what you do. But Yeah. That's just kind of whatever works at that point. Or you get louder on the mic. That's, that's yeah. always. <laughs> that's generally my first <laughs> go-to to try to talk over it. But Get louder than them, yeah. But I think a lot of people um, – like my, my act doesn't generally lend itself to heckling because it's just, you know, it's, yeah. it's high energy and it just goes and I don't ask a lot of questions to the audience. And so, yeah, uh, you know, you, you just try to, you know, I, I don't think so. So oh, do you guys think this is, you know, like I don't, right. I don't care. I don't. It's don't funny care. too, though, as a clean comic, you know, you don't get heckled by, by clean. Usually if they, it's a clean audience, you know, that likes clean comedy, they're not going to be. I, I had kind of it, kind of a heckle at a church. Oh yeah, uh, it, it was. I consider it a heckle. Uh, I've I've been heckled at a church. Uh, you know, again, it's not like a derogatory thing, but just right. like the interrupting yelling, and you're like, all right, that's yeah. kind of interesting. But I, I was doing uh, my chocolate bit, which I don't know if you've seen or whatever. But it's this this how I have this uh, emotional relationship with chocolate or whatever, yeah. um, and I, I get into it. And it was a Valentine's Day show, and they had been handing out chocolate uh, to the people at the show. And I'm in the middle of my bit, and then, you know, chocolate calls me up, you know, late at night. It's like, hey, Brian, what are you doing? Whatever. And I'm like, leave me alone, chocolate, you know. And the guy just takes the chocolate, hucks it up on stage right at me. And you just see him <laughs> and land right at my feet, and it was like right to the side. Wow. The whole place goes crazy. Wow. The whole place. And I was just like, <laughs> I just stared at it for a second. And I was like, and I just went into my punchline, which worked with that whole thing. Uh -huh. Um, and it worked well, but it was like, I was, I was a little upset because I was recording and I was like trying to get good audio to like submit to, to, you know, Sirius XM or whatever. Sure. And I was like, dude, you just totally, I'm in front of 800 people and you just threw a piece of chocolate up at me. It's like, what are you doing? Like who has that ready <laughs> to go, you know? Yeah. And it was yeah. funny. I could see him, you know, like sometimes you can just see, you know, when you're on stage and, and I could just see him like reach and just. Like just toss it like a underhand softball, you know. Like, and I was like, "What are you?" That's bizarre. It, it was so bizarre. It was. It was just like, why would you even do that? Anyway, yeah, on, on any given day, I don't have a candy bar in my pocket ready to go yeah. or anything. Which but now you're making, armed, me, you're making they, me rethink my life now. So, but they they armed the audience with chocolate. So, <laughs> I was fortunate I wasn't pelted with chocolate. That's weird, uh, man. Yeah, because <laughs> oddly <laughs> enough, that's one of one of my one of my weird fears is getting something thrown at me 
for some reason, not at a church show or anything else like that. But, you know, I still do the, do the clubs Yeah, you know, and I'm not offensive at all, but you know, you know, when alcohol is involved with the audience, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Logic doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, But anything, anything just getting thrown, I would think, but you know, if you could see the guy actually going down for it, that's another thing versus out of the darkness. Cause you can't see a lot of, I mean, that, you know, you're up there. It's like front row, maybe. Yeah, it's it was it was very bizarre. So that's why I move around uh, a lot. <laughs> yes. Nobody's target. Will you stop? Trying to peg you with this Hershey's kiss. Say, do you have chocolate? Then yeah, I'll stop. Go ahead, right here, buddy. So. Yeah, I had somebody else hand me chocolate in the middle of of uh, that joke too. So if you want, if you like chocolate, that's a that's the joke to tell. That's very good. Uh, apparently. Yeah. So we are, uh, we're talking with Brian Kahatsu, a uh, stand-up comedian. Uh, you can check him out uh, at briankahatsu.com. That is K-O-H-A-T-S-U.com. Uh, all the links to his social media there. Very, very funny guy. Uh, we got one more question for you, then we're going to get into uh, the organization that uh, you wanted to spotlight. Uh, okay. That question is, what advice do you have for new comics? Um, we touched base on it a little bit. Um, my biggest advice is uh, take an improv class if you've not taken one. I think you will realize that um, there's there's a lot more to it than I think people realize. It's not just, I mean, come on, I'm going to be really honest here for a moment. I mean, sometimes there's a lot of bad improv out there. So if your friend's in a troupe and they're like, come see us, and it's not that great, don't think that that's how all improv is. Um, and also realize that those people are really putting themselves out there um, and they're doing something different. So give it a try whether or not, and again, some people do it not to, not to perform, but just get the skill because um, when I teach, because I don't, I don't do a normal, we don't do a troop at stir crazy. We don't have a, a house troop. We don't do that um, because it's a standup facility, but I teach with the idea of for standup comedians, for real estate agents, for people who just want new people skills. That's kind of how I teach because you will leave. I've had so many people tell me I am so like in tune with my job. Now I listen in meetings I, I'm not afraid to put in my ideas because um, that's what I try to instill in them is with improv, you got to, when the idea comes, you got to say something, you got to do it. And uh, it's called, I call it the, you know, stop shooting. Don't shoot on yourself. Okay. Don't ever leave like for improv on stage. Don't ever leave going, Oh, I should have said this, or I should have come out and done this or don't do it. If you do it, it's probably going to be comedy gold. It might, you're going to hit and miss obviously, but at least you, you, you attempted it. Same thing in a meeting. If you don't say something, you're like, oh, I should have said that. Or somebody has the same idea you had, but they said it first. So they're going to get credit for it. Um, mm -hmm. But I've had a lot of people say those, those simple techniques of like listening and kind of just, you know, being able to be a better listener and start adding information and standing up a little bit more confidence to say stuff um, has changed their work. Um, it'll change relationships. You know um, my kids, um, you know, if I'm not clearly understanding what's going on from being, you know, yelling back and forth from a room, I got to use, use what I teach, you know, get them in front of me, eye contact. Okay. Once again, tell me what you're going to say. And if it's me having to look and listen and then repeat what they've said back to them, then I, then they know, I know that I've heard them. And now I clearly understand what they're saying. Cause there's a lot of mis miscommunication. So, but improv class to help you be a better performer, all that good stuff. But you'll come out with skills you you will you'll use again, even if you never perform improv. So that would be my number one. And that's not that's not because I teach it and do it. It's it's I've seen results from people um, even before that. I just think it's important. Awesome, awesome. All right, uh, that's good advice. 
Uh, we want to um, shift gears now and talk a little bit about an organization you said you wanted to uh, to spotlight. So please uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Compassion International. Yeah, Compassion International. Um, basically, what happened was a few years ago, um, the church that I go to, they 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 think big and they they reach for, you know, they'll they'll try anything and say, let's see what we can do. And over the past, I've been going to the same church for twenty, no, thirty, huh, long time. <laughs> What happens when you never move from the, your hometown? Um, Thirty—it's thirty-some-odd years, anyways. Um, but they, several times during the past, they have tried to do like uh, like the, our church property, for an example. Um, when the property became available, they said, "We think we can buy this property, but if everybody wants to just really, we'll set a date. Everybody give give as much as you want. We can maybe purchase purchase it instead of." you know, getting the property and then kind of just piecemealing and paying for it, we can pay it free and clear. And we did, we made, when we managed to make like over a million dollars in one day, everybody brought. Okay. So they do all these big things like that every once in a while. And uh, it's, it's great. So they said, we want to take on, uh, um, you know, poverty and, 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 and try to help some kids. So they partnered with Compassion International and uh, this was, I think, four years ago uh, during Christmas. And we basically, everybody agreed, we're going we're gonna to go and we're going to sponsor a kid uh, through Compassion International in Colombia. And it was amazing. Everybody, ev- every kid from Colombia has a sponsor now. Wow. So it was weird. If you went to Compassion International and you clicked on Colombia, it said there are no children available. It was something like, I don't even remember what the number was. It was, it was high. It was a lot of people. A lot of people having so uh, Miguel is uh, is my sponsored child. Uh, he is uh, I think he's seven now. He just had a birthday. Her birthday's coming up. That's right. Um, so you know, I in, in terms of charity, it's kind of interesting. This is this is the th- you know how like if somebody has somebody in their family who is say for instance maybe died of cancer when they were younger, they mm-hmm. get very involved in the American Cancer Society. I was fortunate enough that n- n- people in my family lived a very long time and we didn't have any issues like that. So I've always tried to like find that thing in need as it goes. Um, and kids, especially I like, uh, I am I'm very passionate about once you have kids too, it changes your life. Kids in general are awesome, but when they're your own and then you start realizing other people, you know, I, I, I just love the idea of just helping any, any, any kids out. Um, so, this was this was a perfect match for us, and it also it, it's teaching a lot to our kids too in terms of how how the world is. Not everybody is as fortunate as them to have a Xbox at this moment. Um, so uh, so it's kind of nice. It's a great teaching tool. I know that Miguel's in good hands. They they do everything for them though. It's it's an amazing uh, organization because I mean it's just everything from you know from clothes to medical um, schooling. Uh, they build churches down there too. Um, and our church too, the way they've affiliated with it too, there's opportunities for us to go, you know, comic wage in a pandemic, but we do have opportunities. We can actually go down there and meet them. So hopefully we can work toward, uh, toward doing that. So, but it's nice, but it's kind of cool too, because the whole church is involved and we're all, we're all single-handedly one took out, mm-hmm. took out all, you know, any, uh, and as more kids get added, you know, there are more people step up to the plate and those kids are being taken care of in one country. It's just pretty, pretty amazing. Right. So 
but that's uh, amazing yeah that's amazing and you can check out um, uh, their, their site I'm sorry to cut you off compassion international their website is uh, www.compassion.com that's compassion.com so you can go check that out uh, check out all the good things that compassion international is doing uh, yeah I just think in general Brian I think um, I don't know it's just every er, things happen at different times and then I just kind of from a charity perspective I mean I think everybody does this too if it's a uh, you know, if it's a hurricane or whatever, wherever it may be, is just jumping on those things and really trying to help when you can. And then where, mm -hmm. where that need is just trying to fill in the need. Cause, uh, you know, um, you gotta, gotta spread that, spread the love by spreading, you know, and again, I'm a comic on a comics wage. So maybe it's $20, maybe it's 50. It just depends. Maybe it's a hundred depending on how well the year's going. Um, but you know, it's, uh, again, it's giving, giving from your heart and giving what you can not so much the amount that you're giving but it's why you're giving so um definitely definitely jump jump absolutely. on that everyone absolutely and again it's uh like you said and that's kind of the whole point of this this podcast yeah. is to to find all these these great organizations that uh, you know maybe there's something if you don't have something that's personally uh you know affected you and there's all these other options out there and mm -hmm. uh, just the, the best thing you can do is to just find something that that you know you care about or even if you don't uh, necessarily quote unquote care about it just help yeah just get out and help and, and, and give and um i think that's that's wonderful. So compassion, check it out. Uh, compassion international again, compassion.com. And I want to say uh, thank you to everybody for tuning in and uh, watching and listening. And I'd like to say a big thank you to Brian uh, Kahatsu for taking your time today. It was great to uh, get to kind of chat a little bit, learn your yeah. story and find out a little bit more about you. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely want to do some sort of like uh, obsolete impression sort of show or something or exactly. a, you know, podcast or something. I would love to do that. That, would, that sounds like a lot of fun. So next time I see you, Brian, I will do my Roger Healy from uh, I Dream of Gini. <laughs> oh, it, it seems to be a favorite with some people that know it. So, and that's, that's my little teaser for you. So we'll get together. We'll, we'll do that. Uh, looking forward to that, but thank you again for taking the time and uh, stay safe during all of this. And uh, I hope you to see too. you again real soon. So. Yep. Thank you, Brian. Thank this you. was fun. All right. See ya.